0: Good morning. morning. Yay, means you can all hear me. Uh, Welcome to this morning's service, which will be led this morning by our own Reverend Andrew Webb. Um, This evening, there is an evening service here, so ignore what it says in the notices. You're not all nipping off to King's Fold at four. Um, You are going to be here at half past six um, with a service that's going to be led by Sue Davis. I commend the the rest of the notices to you. I don't think there's any more errors in there um, for your uh, prayers and attention. I have no other notices, which is good. So um, if we can all have a moment in prayer, that would be great. Father, you are worthy of more prayers and praises than we could ever give. Although our praises can never be enough, please accept them in Jesus' name. We have gathered in your presence to enjoy fellowship with you. Bring us closer in unity to your love and grace. Let everything that we do today and every day be done in your name.
1: Amen.
2: Just two um, quick notices that I was asked to give um this week is the school junior production um at church school we're invited if we want to to go along to the dress rehearsal it's tomorrow it's at 1 30 um it's called treachery at traitor's key so that gets us excited already doesn't it they'd be delighted if as many as possible went just to support the um children as they're doing their dress rehearsal that would be great I've also had a letter that's come from um, Calvary Christian Fellowship. They're opening a charity shop in Leyland and they're looking for volunteers. And I've pinned a couple of things on the board about that. And just to say, well done, John Shepherd, who did the Moonlight Walk last night. (laughs) Fabulous. (laughs) Well done, John. Okay, hand you over to Cal.
3: It's good to worship God together. Fill our hearts with your grace, O Lord, our souls with your love, and our lives with your glory, through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Let's sing together and worship God as we sing, Jesus be the centre, be my source, be my light. just like to shout out something that you're thankful for this week. The sunshine.
4: The meeting of families.
3: Meeting of families. Friends. Friends. Flowers. Flowers. Good friends. Good friends. Generous God, we come to you this morning to bring you our praise and our thanks. Yours is a love that has no limits, a kindness that is boundless, and we are truly thankful. We have named out loud and in our hearts the things, the people, and situations which bring us joy. And we recognise that all these good gifts come from you. You are the source of our happiness, our very life, and we are truly thankful. We know, Lord, that our recognition of your generosity doesn't always mean that we are generous ourselves. We hold on to the things we've been given and are reluctant to share with others. Forgive us, Lord for our meanness in our possessions, our time and our gifts. Thank you, Jesus, for your example to us of overflowing self-giving. You gave yourself for us on the cross and we ask that you'll show us how we can give ourselves more and more in service to you and to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for your generous love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is the kingdom, the power, and the glory for ever and ever. Amen.
2: Just want to introduce you today to Mr B attitude. Sarah will you just come and hold him up for me please. Do you think he looks happy or miserable? He looks quite miserable doesn't he? Now Mr B attitude is one of the lesser known Mr men okay. He's a Mr man with an attitude actually a whole different range of attitudes. I could do it with five people to hold up my different attitudes. Would that be okay? Anyone going to volunteer to come and hold something up for me? Thank you. If you just want to just line here, that would be great. So that's two. I think we've got five. Oh, we've got, yeah, Rush, come out. Yeah, that's great. Some of you can hold up more than one. I mean, you, two of you together can hold one up. Right, Nicola and Kimberly, you're going to hold that one up, so if you want to go right to the end. Brilliant. A Rush, can you hold that one up? Can you hold that one up, Georgia? You can do one each. You can hold that one up. And you can hold that one up. Brilliant. Have we got them all ready? Okay, brilliant. We're all ready. (coughs) So Mr. B Attitude was very, very rich. He had so much money, he had gold-plated bathtubs and a different iPhone for every day of the week. (laughs) He was very powerful, He had his own company. He made at his company unusual flavours of fudge, like salt and vinegar, and rhubarb and broccoli. (laughs) In his life, Mr. B Attitude never forgave anyone. Instead, he held grudges, making himself very unpopular. He'd even fallen out with his own mum because of the time that she wouldn't let him watch the Teletubbies because it was after his bedtime. Mr B Attitude never thought of anyone else. He was very selfish. Those who worked in his factory were overworked and underpaid. They only got one day off a year, while Mr B Attitude had long holidays on his luxury yacht in North Wales. (laughs) Perhaps Perhaps the worst thing about Mr B Attitude was his bad temper, which meant that he got into fights. He seemed to enjoy a good argument and would never admit he might be wrong even when he suggested a new fudge flavour, which was semolina and slug slime. (laughs) All in all, he wasn't a very nice person to be around. In fact, he wasn't a very happy person to be around. He was always miserable and never smiled. That was until the day when he had a special visitor. Somebody came to see him one day at his office in his factory and he knocked at the door. Come in shouted Mr. Beatitude in his miserable voice. His visitor was a small man who was a bit scruffy and said his name was Mr. J. Suss. When Mr. Beatitude asked what he wanted, Mr. J. Suss said, no, I don't want anything, but I can show you how to be happy. How to be happy. Secretly, Mr. Beatitude wanted to be happy. He was a bit fed up of being miserable. In fact, he was willing to do anything to feel happiness. Mr. J. Suss said, it's easy. It will just involve a few changes. First, Mr. Beatitude was told he'd have to give away lots of his money. He was a bit unsure about it, but he set off with a bag of money and began to give it away. Some to a big issue seller, some to a man at a bus stop, some to the person collecting for Christian Aid. And each time he gave away some money, he began to feel a bit happier. It stirred something in him. Eventually, he'd given nearly all his money away. He was poorer, but happy. His attitude had been turned upside down. Can we swap over? Oh, you've done it. Oh, you're one step ahead of me here, aren't you? Well done. (laughs) Then he was told by Mr. J. Suss that he needed to be more humble and less powerful. So he decided to allow all his employees to have a share in the company. So it wasn't his anymore, but the all-owned part of it. He wasn't powerful anymore. Turn it over, rush. But he was humble and happy. His attitude had been turned upside down. Now, you may remember that Mr. B. Attitude held a lot of grudges, including one against his mum, Mr J. Suss told him he had to sort it out. And so he got on the phone, said he was sorry, he invited his mum over for afternoon tea with a glass of Prosecco, seeing as it was something to celebrate. His grudges were gone, and he was forgiving and happy. His attitude had been turned upside down. The next challenge was to be more caring and less selfish. Mr Beatitude wondered for a bit and then made a decision. He sold his yacht. And with the money, he gave all his workers enough money for a fortnight at Butlin's. (laughs) And they closed the factory down so they could all go together. His selfishness had gone. He was caring and happy. His attitude had been turned upside down. Mr J Suss could see that Mr B's attitude was changing and becoming more happy and said to him, ''Do you still feel angry?'' Do you still want to fight with people and argue with people? Mr B Attitude said he was starting to feel calmer and more peaceful. As he got happier, he didn't want to fight anymore. His love of fighting had gone, and he was peaceful and happy. His attitude had turned upside down. Mr B Attitude was so happy he began to smile from ear to ear. My whole life has been turned upside down, he said. Thank you so much. I'm happy, Mr. Beatitude. No problem, said Mr. J. Suss. It's not rocket science. Live with the world's values, you'll likely end up sad and lonely. If you're willing to live with God's attitudes, you'll end up letting His attitudes change your mind and your heart, and your actions. You'll find yourself very happy indeed, and not only that, all around you will be happy as well. I wonder what we can learn from Mr B Attitude. What things do we need to change in our lives? What would Mr J Suss have to say to us about what needs turning upside down? Mr. Beatitude and Mr. J. Suss became best friends. And as with all good Mr. Men stories, they lived happily ever after. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you very much, everybody. Challenges to live in line with the heart of God to have those things of God living and active in our lives so we're going to sing our next song teach me to dance to the beat of your heart being in line with God's heart It's been really good to all be together as your family. Bless us now as we continue to learn and grow in different ways. Amen. Amen. Any young people?
5: to stand up here on a Sunday morning and talk about finance. Uh, as I was introduced in the, in the vestry it's David the money or something like that. <laughs> when I talk about finance here at church, uh, it's usually meetings, usually in this sort of situation where people have information and papers in front of them. What I've done today is just a, a little bit of a summary of what I wrote in the report for the uh, annual church meeting. I don't really like saying this sort of thing in a service of worship in a lot of ways because that's not why we come to worship, but what we do here as a body of Christian believers here in Bamber Bridge is very important to me and important to a lot of people. Some of us like numbers, Some of us don't like numbers. I work with numbers every day in one way or another. But what do these numbers mean for us? We all have some knowledge of numbers and what we think of numbers. Some way in which we have to deal with our own personal finances. And the church is no different. As a church we have to look after what's coming in and what's going out. As a church, we probably have more demands on us that we are committed to spending than perhaps we do as householders. We think of the things that we have to pay as householders. We have to pay our rent or our mortgage. We have to pay our gas and electric. We have to buy ourselves food. We have to do all these things day by day. And we hope... That what we have coming in is more than we have going out. But it's not always the case, and sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we have to make decisions on what we spend and how we spend our money. Probably the last time I stood up here in a service and said anything about finance was when we had the opening service for this church building. And at that time, I said very quickly, Currently we have a debt of £320,000. Well, we don't have a debt of anything at the moment, but we do have issues as far as what is coming in and what is going out. So I've started here with the slide you've been looking at for a while and you've got some of these figures in the notices in front of you, what we spend our money on. And you'll notice that that top figure, that circuit assessment figure, this circuit share, is a very big number. £51,000 a year, or 76% of it. So I had uh, a pound here. But uh, I'll put this pound here and keep the pound there. But, uh, well, I've now got two pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 76% of it, or 76p, goes towards the circuit. <laughs> it doesn't all go to Andrew. But Andrew is here representing the circuit. And many people sometimes say to me, what is it for? It's for things like paying for a minister, but being part of a circuit organisation, part of a circuit where Andrew can go on his holidays. He's not just given one day a year holiday, and he doesn't just work one day a week either. (laughs) The next big number... Is for the building, the heating, the lighting, the insurance, the repairs, and all that sort of thing that goes on in here. We'd like our building to be comfortable. We'd like our building to be somewhere where we can work and worship and be together. And Graham is this morning representing our property. Graham is going to get the sum total of <laughs> 19 pence to look after this building, keep it light, keep it warm, keep it a place that we want to come. We then have some donations that we make to Methodist Funds. We're part of a Methodist church nationally and internationally. We contribute to things like the Methodist Property Fund, the Methodist Development Fund, Methodist Homes for the Aged, Methodist Home Mission, Methodist Overseas Mission. And about two pence in every pound that we get goes to those sort of Methodist funds. And I'm going to give this to to Anne, who... uh, Is our person who works for women's work. (coughs) Women's work is part of our giving, part of our giving, (coughs) where in the Easter offering we give towards the Methodist World Mission. And Eric's done a runner at the moment, but I'll give this 2p2 to Margaret. Eric looks after, in some ways, the the printing in the magazine we have the phone within the building, we have internet connection within the building, we do publicity and all that sort of thing. So Margaret can go and really splash out with two feet. (laughs) And then we have one penny left. One penny left which is the expense that we, uh, the, the money that we spend on providing tea and coffee for services looking at events that we put on, our contribution towards those. And I'm going to give this one penny, probably to Mrs. Leslie. Mrs. Leslie used to run our Thursday coffee mornings, but you're here in the front, I don't have to walk quite as <laughs> But that sort of events that we put on as a church, one penny out of every pound that we have to spend. And I think that we have to spend that sort of money. But then if we look at it, what do we have coming in? What do we have coming in day by day, week by week? Sorry that these have got a little bit smaller to look at, but uh, that's where our money comes from. The bulk of it comes from people who give monthly, directly into the bank by standing order. Roughly £28,000 a year comes through standing orders. Collections on a Sunday morning and other times and gifts that are of a regular nature get about £14,000. Those who are taxpayers can gift aid their giving. So the church gets back a quarter of what you put in the plate. And that comes to about £9,200. I've just put the Saturday coffee mornings on here because the Saturday coffee mornings are the ones that generally all the funds raised at Saturday coffee mornings come to church. Our other events are part of our outreach into the community, part of where we look to be part of God's church and we support other charities and other things. But the Saturday coffee mornings are... uh, Raising round about fifteen hundred pounds a year, and then the rent—the rent for when people use our property, the rent we get from the nursery next door, our occasional usage—seven thousand two hundred pounds a year. I haven't put any totals on either of these slides. The first one, if you added all that, came to roughly sixty-seven thousand pounds. This slide comes to £60,000. I was talking before about our household budget, of what we have coming in and what we have going out. Our household budget as the church here has £67,000 going out, but £60,000 coming in. That's £7,000 a year shortfall on what I can just about bank on from a week-by-week basis. We generally make up the shortfall, the shortfall of £130 a week, from fundraising, one-off gifts, gifts in in memory of people who've died, gifts because people are happy, people who had weddings or other events that they are grateful for. And grateful to this church for being here for them. I don't want us all to get depressed and sort of upset that our expenditure is more than our income. But I want us to think about what we can do. I've been looking at what we all commit to on a regular basis what we commit to giving that makes it easy for me and for us as a church to plan and to know where we're going and what we're doing these have all been probably big numbers but our weekly costs are roughly 1300 pounds i know there it says 1290 our weekly income 1160 a weekly shortfall of about £130. If we think about those costs, it would have been roughly £1,300 a week to run the church. And we have about 130 people who regularly come to this building, feel part of this community that we are here It doesn't take a mathematical genius to think of £1,300 and 130 people being £10 a person a week. That means an average of £10 per person per week. Some can and do give more. Some can't give more. But I just want to end with a question. A question to all of us. Do I give all that I can? Thank you.
2: We're going to our Old Testament reading now because we are going to continue to reflect on this theme of giving and finance. Thank you, Freda.
1: The first reading is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter 26, starting at the first verse. First fruits and tithes. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at the time I declare today to the Lord your God That I have come to the land That the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us The priest shall take the basket from your hands And set it down in front of the altar Of the Lord your God Then you shall declare before the Lord your God My father was a wandering Aramean." And he went down into Egypt with a few people And lived there and became a great nation Powerful and numerous But the Egyptians ill-treated us And made us suffer Putting us to hard labour Then we cried out to the Lord The God of our forefathers And the Lord heard our voice And saw our misery, toil And oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Amen.
2: Going to sing our next hymn, it's 713, if you're following in the books. Show me how to stand for justice.
4: 2, verses 43 to 47, and then chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. A deep sense of awe was on them all, and the apostles did many miracles, and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other, selling their possessions and dividing with those in need. They worshipped together regularly at the temple each day, and met in small groups in homes for communion shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness, and praising God, the whole city was favourable to them, and each day God added to them all who were being saved. All of the believers were of one heart and mind, and no one felt that he owned what was his own. Everyone was sharing. And the apostles preached powerful sermons about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and there was a warm fellowship amongst all the believers. There was no poverty, for all who had owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money to the apostles to give to the others in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles had nicknamed Barney the Preacher. He was from the tribe of Levi and the island of Cyprus. He was one of those who had sold a field he owned, And he brought the money to the apostles for distribution to those in need. Thanks be to God.
2: During my time as a minister, as you might imagine, there have been a number of times when on the church door, um, people have said to me, well, I didn't agree with what you said today. Um, At least it lets me know that people have listened to what I've had to say. But the one that surprised me the most was a comment that was made to me by a church treasurer. It wasn't David, but it was a long time ago. She told me that she was offended by the prayer that I'd used as I'd received the offertory, because I'd used the word money. And she felt it was offensive to talk about money in church. So if she felt that, she'd have been, she would have been deeply offended this morning, wouldn't she? <laughs> well, I hope you don't feel the same, because this morning, as already we have been doing, we're reflecting about money. At the general church meeting, we reflected about our church finances and David updated us and we felt it was appropriate um, for David to share some of this on a Sunday morning and I'm grateful for David for, his, uh, for the way that he's presented to us today. We give to God in lots of ways. We give through our time, through our talents, through our abilities. All of that is part of our giving. But this morning, I particularly want to focus on our financial giving to God sometimes think we're reluctant to talk about finances and talk about how our finance can help the work of God's kingdom and the mission of God's church. So I'm going to share some thoughts about giving. And I know that giving is different for each one of us. I know we find ourselves in different situations and different times, but hopefully there'll be something for each of us to reflect on and take away. Jesus was someone who was never afraid of offending people. And perhaps that's why he spoke about money so frequently. Out of his 39 parables, 11 of them are about money. Jesus spoke about treasure, about investments, about giving, about tax, about wealth, and about wages. He had plenty to say where money was concerned. But there was a common theme in what Jesus had to say... And that was about how money needs to play a part in our discipleship, in our Christian lives, in our Christian living, in our relationship with God. And there's just three things I want to say about that that come from the teaching of Jesus. The first is that money should never be the thing that comes between us and God. There's a story Jesus tells, a story we read about a rich young ruler who comes to see Jesus. And he says to Jesus, What do I need to have eternal life? And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says, you need, to, you need to give all you have to the poor, a bit like Mr. Jesus did with Mr. Beatitude. It may sound harsh, and it may sound as if it was the impossible thing for that man to do. But maybe as Jesus looked into his heart, he could see that the one thing that was stopping that man from having a full relationship with God was his love of money. We don't know. If he wanted a full relationship with God, he needed to put his priorities right. Money in itself isn't wrong. It's the love of money that causes problems. And when when money comes between us and God, we need to sort it out. The second thing that Jesus reflected on was that money is an opportunity to do good and to transform lives, to make a difference. Jesus encounters another man for whom money was a problem, Zacchaeus. As you might imagine, I like Zacchaeus. Any story where a little man comes good in the end, appeals to me. (laughs) Zacchaeus, of course, was a tax collector and a cheating tax collector at that. He was miserable, he was lonely, he was unpopular... A bit like Mr. Beatitude. He was increasing his wealth at the expense of other people. But he encounters Jesus and his life is turned upside down. He's challenged about his life, about his money. He gives money away. He pays back in excess of what he's taken from people. And as he sees the difference he makes, his heart is lifted. He's understanding what grace is all about. He experiences giving with joy but without counting the cost. Our money is an opportunity to do good, to transform, to give joyfully and see the difference that our giving can make. And then the third thing is that money should be an opportunity to be generous. Jesus embodies generosity in the way that he lives his life. Everything about his ministry, his teaching, his time for others, his gift of himself on the cross, it's all about generosity. It's no surprise that he upholds the poor widow who comes to the temple and gives sacrificially, puts in her tiny coins, but does it with great generosity. Alongside her are others who are putting in big amounts with great show, but she's the one, Jesus says, who is truly being generous. She hasn't given from what's extra or what's left over when everything else has been paid for. Her giving is sacrificial. And Jesus upholds her as an example to everyone else. Money and opportunity to be generous. We can see in his encounters and his experiences that time and again, Jesus challenges people in no uncertain terms about their money and about their giving. He wants people to live to the full and feel that they can make a difference, use their money wisely, give generously, give without counting the cost to themselves. He wants people to see that money is not the most important thing in their lives, to reassess their priorities, first and foremost, to love God and to allow that love to transform every aspect of their lives. So as we reflect on giving, just three other brief things about how we might think about giving, how we might respond to David's challenge to us. The first is our gifts should be given thankfully and cheerfully. We give to God in response to what he's given to us. God's blessed us richly in so many ways. Those verses from Deuteronomy reflected on the way in which God had given so richly to those people. They needed to respond by giving back to him. He's given us the gift of his son so that we might have life in all its fullness. Giving should be the result of careful and prayerful reflection. We should respond thankfully, respond cheerfully, in offering ourselves to God to follow his ways and to live for the work of his kingdom. That means all aspects of our lives, and part of that is about money. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So a few more smiles as the collection's taken. (laughs) But it's easy when we think about giving just to make ourselves feel guilty. And again, David reflected on that, for not giving enough. I don't think God wants us to be guilty and live our lives riddled with guilt. He wants us to rejoice in the opportunities that he places before us, to do so in the best ways that we can. So let's give not out of guilt, but let's give out of generosity in response to God's generosity to us. And secondly, we're challenged to give in proportion to our means. Deciding how much we give to God will be different for each and every one of us. It Depends on our finances, our personal situation, what's going on at home for us if we have a partner who's part of the church or isn't. When we decide how much we give, though, it's important to remind ourselves that all that we have is a blessing from God if we look at how much we spend on different areas of our lives, we also need then to reflect on how much we give to God and how much we support the work of his kingdom. I can only speak for myself and share examples from how I've given and Sarah and I have given. Early on in our marriage, Sarah and I were at Easter People, Methodist um, convention that used to take place that some of you went to. We went to a talk about Christian giving and the chap who did the talk challenged us And he talked about tithing, about giving 10% of your income to God. And for us, that seemed the right way forward. And that's been the pattern for our lives. And I'm not saying that to make us sound really pious or generous. We just found something that seemed to work for us. And the one thing I've always held on to and remembered from that meeting was the chap said, even if you're giving 10% for God, you're still holding 90% back for yourself. For all of us, it will be different. At different stage in our lives, it will be different. Each of us needs to prayerfully consider what proportion of our income we can give to God. Giving to God should be the first call on our income, not the loose change left over at the end of the week. And then the third thing that's important in our giving, and David reflects on this in the article in the notices from the annual general report, it needs to be regular And it needs to be committed, not just because that helps treasurers to know what's coming in, but because that's part of our Christian commitment. It should be the pattern of our lives, our weekly and monthly commitment to God. And I know many of us do that already through standing orders, through the envelope scheme, through our regular giving. It's good for the church to know so they can plan, so we can plan accordingly. But it's also good for us to have reflected on what are our priorities and decided how much we can give regularly to God. I've only been able to speak briefly about finance this morning. We could go on, I could talk all day about it if you wanted me to. But I hope we can go away and reflect on what's been shared, both by David and myself. There's lots of ways we give to God, and we're appreciative in the church for all those different ways. But we're just thinking today about finance. There's lots of other important challenges that we could reflect on. How do we use the money left over after we've given to God? How do we make sure our spending is done in ways that glorifies God? How do we spend and invest which are are ethical ways and do good for God and his kingdom? How do we decide whether to give to the church or to charity? How does the church make sure it uses its income wisely and justly? Lots of other questions that we'll have to wait for another service to reflect on. But I just want to finish this part of our service with a challenge. I want you to use your imaginations for a moment. I want you to imagine a church where the problem isn't balancing the books, but what to do with the surplus at the end of the year. Where we didn't simply worry about upkeep and maintenance, but were excited that we had resources for mission and outreach. Where we didn't need to raise money for keeping going but we're able to dream dreams about how we could serve God and our community in effective mission and outreach. Where we can't afford it becomes a thing of the past, and living thankfully and generously is central to our Christian discipleship. Maybe my natural optimism is getting a bit carried away with itself, but with God, nothing is impossible. And a quick story about a minister and his congregation to finish. The minister says to the congregation, this morning I have two pieces of bad news and one piece of good news. The first piece of bad news is the church roof needs replacing. The good news is we have all the money. The second piece of bad news is it's still in your pockets, purses (laughs) and bank accounts. We've got all that we need to do amazing things for God." We just need to hand them over to him. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn that reflects on finance and giving. A rich young man came seeking God's kingdom was his aim. It's 243 in the books. I've seen on the table out at the front, out in the entrance area, there are some copies of a little booklet that comes from the district. It's to do with um, the district mission, transforming lives and communities, but they produce these little booklets for each of us if we want to, just to think about our lives, what we're doing, how we might respond to the love of God. Maybe a good time for us to take one and use it for our own reflection. We're going to take our offering now for the work of God in this church. Plenty of smiles as we go (laughs) round. Loving God, we thank you that you're a generous God and you give freely in lots of ways. We thank you for this opportunity to respond to your generosity by giving our gifts, as well as gifts given to our rally through the bank. We offer them all to you for the work of your kingdom in transforming lives. Amen. We turn to God with our prayers of concern. From our prayer book, we're remembering Elsie Lethbridge in hospital and also Jean Lomas and Joyce. We turn to God in prayer. Generous God, we pray for rich countries with a surplus of wealth and for the poor countries in debt to them. We pray for rich countries whose stores are overflowing and for countries whose harvests have failed. We pray for rich countries flaunting their material success, and for the poor who live there, forgotten or ignored. Generous God, help us not to pile up treasures for ourselves while remaining poor in your sight. Generous God, we pray for those whose wealth has given them power, and for those whose poverty has made them powerless. We pray for those whose lives are given to making money and for those who can barely afford to live. We pray for the successful, the popular, the talented and for those who are given little respect. Generous God, help us not to pile up treasures for ourselves while remaining poor in your sight. Generous God, we pray for your church with its many resources and for your people who live in poverty. We pray for your church entrusted with the gospel and for those crying out for love and hope. We pray for your church filled with the Holy Spirit and for those who long for guidance and peace. Generous God, help us not to pile up treasures for ourselves while remaining poor in your sight. And generous God, we pray for ourselves, that you will challenge each one of us about how we respond to your generosity to us, how we give back for the work of your kingdom. Guide us about our giving. Generous God, help us not to pile up treasures for ourselves while remaining poor in your sight. We ask our prayers in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Amen. We're going to sing as our final hymn, a hymn of commitment to God. Take my life and let it be. you. The hands of the Saviour enfold you, and the hands of the Spirit surround you. And the blessing of God Almighty, Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit, with each one of us now and evermore. Amen.